You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. First, I would like to say it was so wonderful to meet so many of you during the Outspoken Summit in Arizona. What an incredible weekend filled with incredible speakers, workshops, and networking. For those of you who missed it, definitely check it out next year. Put it on your calendar. It is an amazing resource for women looking to build businesses in the endurance sport space. And just thanks to everyone who came up and introduced yourselves, and good luck with all your endeavors. I would also like to wish my listeners in the U.S. a very happy Thanksgiving tomorrow. I have so, so very much to be thankful for right now, and not the least of which is every single one of you listening to this show. I love creating this podcast, and it brings me incredible joy to see it growing and being shared and received the way it has been. So thank you. I hope you all have a wonderful time with your loved ones. And if you're not in the U.S., I wish you well also. Okay, because we're coming into the holiday, one more note. As U.S. residents know, it's Black Friday this Friday, which is really just our national shopping day as we get ready for the holidays. And what I'm going to say here applies to everyone, no matter where you are and whether or not you celebrate Thanksgiving in the U.S. In the spirit of Black Friday, when all the major retailers are running sales, we are offering a few of our own. And again, this applies to everyone everywhere. So listen up. On Friday, you can save 25% on tickets to our Hit Play Not Pause Summit. So you get five bucks off the ticket and get your entry for $15. Remember, you can watch it virtually or on demand. So get your ticket this Friday. It's coming up very quickly. We are also offering free massages. Well, not us personally, but anyone who purchases an entry ticket to our Feisty Menopause Performance Retreat this week will get a free massage at Lake Nona Performance Center that you can redeem at the event. If you haven't checked out the retreat yet, I highly, highly encourage you to do so. It's filling up and it's going to be an amazing, fun, educational weekend in sunny Florida in February. Come on down and join us. Finally, do you love off-road cycling adventures? If you do, join me and the Gone Graveling Festival uh, May 11th through the 13th in 2023 in Bentonville, Arkansas. And this week only, you get a free t-shirt or tank top with your registration. All of these sales end at midnight Pacific time on Friday, November, November 25th. So come on down and check them out. And I will put clickable links to all of those awesome deals in the show notes to make it super easy for you all. All right, on to the guest. This week, I had an absolute pleasure of sitting down and talking with Zora Benamou. 
Zora is a self-described biohacker who has her own podcast called Hack My Age for Women Over 50 and a website by the same name, hackmyage.com. She is also a certified breathwork instructor and sport nutrition coach, as well as the author of The Longevity Master Plan and The Eating for Longevity Cookbook. Zora lives her life as a digital nomad traveling the world, and she has traveled to over 50 countries so far, lived in eight, and she speaks six languages. As if that weren't enough, Zora is also a gerontologist, and she is deeply immersed in the literature and the scientific study of aging and its effects on well-being and the medical treatments you receive, as well as being on a mission to just disrupt ageist stereotypes in the media and broadly. And I just freaking loved this conversation. Menopause and midlife are inextricably intertwined. How we experience one impacts how we experience the other in many, many ways. And I've been wanting to dive in and pull on so many of these threads for a while now. And Zora was just the perfect person to have this conversation with. We talk about all the challenges we face during this time of life and the steps we can take to make our journey through both menopause and midlife better. And we also talk about what's good about this time of life. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. She cites a bunch of studies, like a bunch of studies and resources. I'll just add that. So I am going to be sure to drop all of those references and she provided them all into the show notes for you. All right. As always, I invite you to follow us at Feisty Menopause at Instagram and Facebook. Sign up for my weekly blog at feistymenopause.com and continue sharing the show with your friends and on your socials. It is helping us to grow and get great guests like Zora. So I appreciate that. Before we get to it, a very quick thanks to Bonafide for their continued sponsorship. I heard from a woman who can't take hormone therapy because she's on hormone blockers for breast cancer treatment, and she was having hot flashes around the clock literally almost every half hour at night, which were making her miserable. She started taking their product Relizin, which is a non-hormonal treatment for vasomotor symptoms like hot flashes and night sweats, and she said she noticed improvements after about a month, and nine months later, she is hot flash and night sweat free. So thank you, Bonafide for your support and your help. Okay, truly enough of me. Let's have a few words about those awesome sponsors and get on with the show. All right, Zora, it is your turn to be on my show. I am really, really excited to have you here today. So thank you for thank you for joining us. This is, you know, I love I love what you do. Um as a now a gerontologist, right? I, I love what you yeah. what you do in that space. And I think there's a really important conversation to be had that I have not yet had about the intersection point of menopause and midlife. And I thought you were the perfect person for it. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I just love the fact that I can bring my community to the feisty menopause community, to your podcast. I talk about it all the time and really we need to have these two groups converge and empower more women with what we know. Yeah. A hundred, a hundred percent agree. So let's mm. go right into it. I mean, I'm curious from your point of view, what are some of the keystones of aging? Well, you know, in your space that impact how we experience the menopause transition. So aside, you know, we've always talk about diet and exercise and sleep and all this stuff. And, and of course that has an impact, but I think a lot of people 
forget about their attitudes. There's a, there's their, their happiness factor, the relationships. This is something that we study a lot in gerontology and, and it's, it's not talked about enough. So, you know, when it comes to attitude, we're talking a little bit more about attitudes in menopause across the globe, but the attitude is kind of like, well, you know, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional, right? And this is largely influenced by some social cultural aspects, but you're having a positive attitude in general in life is going to help you live a better life. Now, will it make you live longer? Possibly. I mean, we, we, we know that it's certainly the journey will be much more enjoyable. So we want to think about our happiness or what will make you happy. Knowing yourself is super important too. And, and luckily around this period, we really, you know, kids are, are gone and they're out in college and the empty nester. Now we have our time to look into ourselves. We can start to dig deeper. What do we really want in life now in this new phase? Uh, what will make you happy? What is your purpose in life? I mean, this is something in Japan called Ikigai, and I'm sure you've, you spoke about this before. And that literally means the reason to wake up in the morning. You know, what's going what's gonna to charge you? What's going to give you more energy? So, you know, what makes us most happy and what will help us live better longer? And I want to share a study with you. And I, I think I sent you the link. And I think absolutely you should share this with everyone because it's a very interesting study by Harvard. It's the study of adult development. It's one of the longest longitudinal studies that started in 1938. And it's now continued as the sort of Harvard second generation study. It originally was men. <laughs> these were Harvard Hello. students. Yeah. <laughs> so these white men from Harvard, including John F. Kennedy, um, they expanded later on to poor populations in, in Boston. And then finally, they started looking at the wives and the, and the female children of these people. So, so they do have some flaws in this study. It started with all white males and it's still largely white population. There's not enough diversity and it's all in the US. But what was interesting about this study, they, they really delved in deep and they were doing MRIs. They did blood work. They measured your blood pressure, your heart rate. Eventually, they started looking at genes. They had detailed questionnaires every single year. They were going back to these people. And what they've concluded was that more than diet and exercise, genes, and anything else, that strong, positive relationships keep us healthy, healthier and happier. So these are, these are connections to our family or friends or community. This is super, super important for the life experience, but also the menopause experience when you think about it. And what they also came was very interesting what they said in this study that close relationships more than money or fame, which is no surprise, are what kept people happy throughout their lives. You kind of know that now, but still when you're young, you really search for that, right? And, and that's a little bit surprising for me as a gerontologist, because we always learn that when you have more money or you have more education, you have mm. better jobs, you're able to get better medical care, you're able to buy better food, you have more health literate, but it's those ties that, that, that those connections that protect people from sort of life's uh, discontents and it helps to delay mental and physical decline. And they are, these are better protectors of long and happy lives more than social class, IQ, or even genes. 
that's, that's a pretty big, big punch. One other thing that they mentioned in the study that I, I'll read it out the way they said it, because it's so super important for this audience uh, of women going through, through menopause is that there were several studies that found that people's level of satisfaction with their relationships at age 50 was a better predictor of physical health than their cholesterol levels were. So if you're most happy, those people who are most happy in their relationships at, at 50 were the healthiest at age 80. And, and that's, that's another, you know, pretty, you know, think about your relationships right now. Are you happy with them? And if you're not change them so that we can live a longer, better life. And it doesn't mean that, you know, those people who are in, you know, marriages and couples that, that they're, everything's perfect. And, but it does mean, you know, they, those people also have some, some conflict. It's just at the end of the day, they know that someone's got their back. And so, and if you're in a, in a bad marriage, um, without much affection or love, then this turns out to be really bad for your health and, and worse than getting divorced. So divorce is a, is a, is a big one on, on the stress scale and, and impacts our health. But really what the studies are showing is it's probably better to get a divorce than actually sit in a bad marriage. I, I love, love, love so much about everything you just said. Um, and I like that you, you talked about like happiness is not necessarily dancing, uh, you know, waking up and dancing and swinging from the chandeliers, having sex and like, you know, like, I'll, like, like <laughs> I mean, that's great. But like, but happiness, because it's funny, like, I consider myself a, a, a happy person. But I'm also like, I have a lot of existential dread. I mean, I, I like I have a I have anxiety and existential. I have all these things that you would consider like hallmarks of like not being happy. But I am content and I have purpose in my life and my relationships are good. And all that stuff keeps me what I consider very happy, like just very grounded, no matter what else is going on in my life. And yeah. yeah. Have you heard of you are the average of the five closest friends that you have? Oh, that's interesting. So think about, yeah, if your friends, you know, the five closest friends you have, if they're generally negative and smokers or uh, drinkers, or, you know, you'll probably wind up to be very much like them. But if they're, if you're, if you're generally have positive friends who support you or are nice or are successful or whatever it is, then you'll be the average of those people. And, and that's something to really consider when you're going through menopause or you're going, you're aging and you want to age better, look at the people around you. Those are super, super important. And and because they can either add a lot of stress to your life, you know, circulating more cortisol and stress hormones and affecting us are physically, you know, not only mentally, but also physically, uh, or, you know, do you want to change that. And we can change that. So we, we're going to talk a little bit more about some studies that are super interesting uh, in terms of those relationships and how they impact menopause. But one other thing I wanted to share with you as well, that I thought was really cool from this study is that 80 year old men and women who were happily partnered, they said that on the days when they had the most physical pain, their mood remained just as happy. Meanwhile, those in unhappy relationships had their physical pain get worse, um, you know, just being magnified just by being in more emotional pain. So when you think about the, you know, when we go through menopause, we, it's not always hunky dory, right? We sometimes have some, some pain, joint pain, or we have the hot flashes and things like that. So consider 
again, your relationships in terms of are they supportive or not to help you on that journey? Because the research is showing up pain may be more magnified if you're not in a healthy, happy relationship. Pain science validates that. Like there's a, you know, I mean, we could have do seven shows on pain science, right? It's fascinating. (laughs) Um, But it, 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 verifies everything that you just said about the magnification of pain. And and what you're saying is also echoing uh, some research from Mary Jane Minkin, who was like the third guest I ever had on this show, you know, and she did research on, and you might touch on this later, on in cultures in which um, aging is not denigrated, you know, but rather looked at as a positive thing. Women's menopausal experiences are far better. I mean, that's not to say that they don't have the same vessel motor symptoms or whatever, but like, you your your brain turns up or down the volume on all of that depending on right the culture you're in and how it's affecting you so that's like this whole attitude piece is is super important and it's not just like oh you know pull yourself up by your panties and have a good attitude it's it's what you're talking about like if you are surrounded by people who are dragging you down and you know if you are you know it like one of the one of the things you can do, I'm not saying like dump all your friends and start anew, but maybe just start find another community. Like if you like to walk, run, ride, hang, whatever you like to do, find a community that does that and become part of them. And then you'll like you could make some better relationships that will take you in a more positive direction. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely you absolutely hit the nail on the head on that one. And in, in gerontology, we, we learned that. Uh, there's a theory called the socio-emotional selectivity theory, and this is this is shows that as we age, we get we we have a more awareness of death coming on, and we know that our time is 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 more limited, and so we start to be very selective with our relationships. We start mm. to I- invest more time in those quality relationships we already have, whether it's your family or your friends. As opposed to when you're young, you're just going out and trying to make as many contacts as you can and trying to, you know, climb the corporate ladder or try to, you know, ha- have more friends and it doesn't really matter. You just get them all. We, we really take a, a different look. So the good thing about aging is that we become much more selective and we can really nurture our network and and hopefully again to to say this again, I keep I'll say it a million times, is make sure that you choose people who are supportive, supportive of you and who make you happy. Is there a, and I don't know if there's an answer to this, you know, I don't know if there's a genetic stream that runs through this. I mean, my, my father is a diehard glass half empty, pessimistic human being, and I am the polar opposite. And he was always like, Celine, you could walk over a cesspool and not see the shit. And maybe that's true. But but like, I, um, (laughs) like that's, I, I, you know, but I, I do, I am relentlessly positive. Um, so I wonder if there is a genetic component, you know, to any of this. And and if there is, I mean, perhaps if you are a Ron Yeager, um, that's my dad, per- pursuing people who are a little on the sunnier side might help. I, you know, I'm not. 
Yes, yes. We have a, in psychology, the psychology of aging, we do, we have this thing called the ocean, O-C-E-A-N. And if I can hopefully remember all of them, O is for, for optimistic, C is for conscientious, E is for extroversion, uh, A is for, I can't remember, um, it'll come to me. And N is is for, oh, A is for, um, oh, it just came to me, it came lost. And oh, um, N is for neuroticism. So, there are four positive <laughs> or you know what we would consider positive traits and one negative but they found out that those who are just more more uh, open to experience more uh, more optimistic that those people tend to have uh, healthier healthier lives and better attitudes towards aging and so the more neuroticism you had, then of course it, it was the opposite effect. And I think it was, I can't even remember, I'll have to remember, pull the study out, but it was something and they looked at high school students even, and they could sort of predict based on their character, how, how they would, how long they would, not exactly how long they would live, but you know, if they would be more vulnerable to, to diseases right. of aging. And uh, so, yes, your personality definitely um, affects your aging process. And, but I've met, you know, people in their nineties who are grumpy old men and they're like, and they're negative and like, how do they live so long? There's always <laughs> stubbornness. <laughs> yeah. My father's doctors have said as much. They're, they're a testament to stubbornness. How <laughs> my father's still like up in his wood shop doing his thing, despite many things. <laughs> Exactly. So there's always, yeah, there, there is personality, uh, is, is, is important, but what we found, and again, there's a little debate on this. There's some new research coming out, but what we learned is that, uh, as there's sort of this U curve of happiness, have you heard of that? Where, yes. you know, we're happiest and, you know, in our childhood and up to our twenties and then the most depressed around our forties and then happy again, you know, as we reach our seventies, but there was debate with that. Uh, but you know, if you want to look at that, well then yeah, great. Uh, we tend to trend to be happier as we get older right. and, and that's even if you sort of born with a negative personality. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's, there is some hope, so you can choose to, to look at that study or not, but I think it's always good to, to have a, a look at the glass half full and rather than half empty, it just makes the journey much more, more enjoyable. No doubt. He's 84. Maybe by the time he's 104, like the glass will be a little more full. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> before we move on to, um, before we move off this a little bit, I, I wanted to also, I wrote down while you were talking blue zones, because I have so many women, uh, you know, DM me or they'll message and be like, hey, you know, the people in the blue zones eat this. So, you know, you hear all that and you read that. And I'm like, yeah. But I, I've always thought the relationship piece is a, is really the big thing with like community with when you, when, and I'm talking about the blue zones as a place where people are the longest lived and there was a whole book on it and probably a website and everything, you know, and everyone's like, it must be the resveratrol or the tofu or the, you know what I mean? Like, but it's, but they all have like strong communities and that's, that seems to be the underlying thing there. Yeah, no, definitely. The blue zones are those pockets of, of populations where they have high concentrations of centenarians. So people kind of go out there and try to look at what they're doing and how they're behaving and what they're eating. And, you know, to me, I was questioned that because I wonder, you know, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily replicate what they're doing now at age 100. I want to know what did they do when they were 50? 
Like, so, you know, and I'm sure they're not behaving or acting or eating the same things as they were when they're 50. Maybe they were, I mean, I'm just question it. So, and that's what I would like to know because I'm, I'm in M52. So I would love to, to know, but definitely in all across. So in the blue zones, they kind of find out what, what do people have in common? And, you know, we always think it's what we eat and yes, we have a big impact on what we eat, but we have to also remember we, we all have different microbiomes, different genetics and different yeah, it's just tastes and, and, and what we like to choose to eat and what we don't. But, you know, I think it's, it's the easy piece that people think, you know, we want to change. Let's just start eating that and, and I'll live to a hundred. But, um, but again, you kind of question, do you want to live to a hundred? Um, do you have enough money to live to a hundred? Will people still be alive when you're a hundred? Well, you know, society support you. I mean, we think about what life may be in, at a hundred, you know, and then, you know, I'm assuming you, you hope that you'll be in a good condition, right? You know, be a hundred and, and falling apart and be suffering for the last 30, 40 years. So, so that's, that's something, uh, the blue zones are, are interesting, but, um, you know, there's just so, there's so many factors too, but I, I do agree that the, the, the relationship factor, knowing you have a, a social support system, because think about when you're 70, 80, I mean, we can't imagine, imagine yourself at 80 years old, what will that be like? And we don't really know. I have no idea what I'll be at 80. I'd like to imagine how I will be, but when you are uh, say, if, imagine you don't have any family around and you have no one knocking on your door saying hello, or how are you doing? Or do you feel okay? Maybe you're not able to go and get food uh, or yeah, cook, who knows what you'll be like. But when you know that you have someone's there and checking in on you as they got your back, it lowers the stress a lot because it is stressful if, if, if you're not prepared, or if you don't have this social network as, as you're older, it's stressful to lose your eyesight. It's stressful to lose your hearing. It's stressful to, you know, to lose a lot of your senses, senses and, and not be as, uh, as capable of doing things as when you were younger. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I don't want anyone to look at this as extremes. I won't be able to walk or hear or, 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 or see, <laughs> you know, we, we, but we sometimes dramatize it. Right. I mean, the first time I started losing my eyesight on my one eyeball, I was like, oof that's not, <laughs> doesn't feel good. Oh, what's going to happen. And you know, how, when will I go blind? But you know, that's, it, it's, it's not always like that. And there's so many other things that we can do to, to support uh, the aging process, but relationships, your family, your friends, super, super vital to that process. And you don't just wait until you're 80 to start making relationships. You start when you're young, it takes years, decades to make strong relationships, right? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and a lot of the podcasts are talking now about that reverse engineering process, sort of like looking w exactly what you're saying, like what do you want to still be able to do when you're 80? That, that, that means you need to put in place a plan now. And, you know, I think that I talk a whole lot about making muscle, but I think I'm going to talk about making relationships just as much. Exactly. Yes, your relationships. Have you, I love Peter Atiyah's um, Centenarian I Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard yeah. of that? <laughs> yes. I was I was thinking of him because he talks an awful lot about about that whole process of looking forward and then working backward. Yeah. Just do I, that process with your friends that you love that are supporting you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. It's a, <laughs> well, so let's talk a little bit about the the flip side of this because I think it's important. I hear from a lot of women and I I sort of went through a pocket of that myself where I felt 
really pretty alone, you know, going through the, when I sort of entered the menopause transition tunnel, whatever you want to call it. And, and it's, it's disconcerting, you know, to feel isolated or to feel alone, which is different from feeling lonely. Cause I do have friends. Um, can we talk a little bit about like that, that part of this piece? Yes. I, I felt like you, when I, uh, just started to have some joint pain or I got injured and and it's possibly due to the change in hormones. And, and I have so many people told me, you know what, maybe you should slow down. And I was, I was like 48 or 46 or something. And I was like, wait a second. So I, I was, you know, the, when you hear that, and again, think about those people that surround you, the more you hear that, the more you start to believe it. And I was feeling really alone. Like I'm just some anomaly. Nobody, you know, likes to be uh, active like I do. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not running marathons or anything. I just like to, to move my body. And, uh, and then I found you and your group and I was, <laughs> blown away. I was like, this is, this is where I need to be. This is my tribe. And I need to bring more people here because your message to me that I got, the one thing that out stood out was menopause is not a time to slow down. It's a time to speed up. And that just made my day, made me so happy. And then finding all the stories that the women share with you. And I thought this is, this is, this is where I need to be. So the feeling alone is, 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 yeah, something that happens to so many women when we go through this menopausal transition. And I think there are many people out there and many cultures still around that, that don't talk about it. It's still taboo. It's, it's got a stigma. Uh, I even had one client of mine who in her sixties from Ireland, and I started to mention hormones and menopause and things. And she said, you know, I'm so happy I can talk to you about this because when I talk to my friends, they say, shh, 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 we don't talk about that. <laughs> I was like, wow. It is a thing. This yeah. is just last year. And I'm like, wow, this is, I got to change the circle of friends a little bit. And, uh, and so, but she was relieved because she didn't feel alone anymore. And loneliness is, is, is something that can actually kill us. I did a podcast that with, um, uh, Kathleen Tuney and she, she and I discussed loneliness and it's just as powerful and has a powerful impact on your body physiologically as smoking or alcoholism. So lonely. Yeah. We covered this a lot in gerontology. I mean, it was unbelievable. So we don't think about it until we're in our seventies or eighties and maybe alone or lonely. Um, but loneliness can happen at any age and it's different than social isolation, which, you know, during the pandemic, you know, a lot of people felt socially isolated. So loneliness is that feeling of that distressed feeling that, that you're alone and it's very subjective. And there's this imbalance between you can be surrounded by people and be lonely. Yeah. Exactly. And so the, the social isolation is just, okay, you have no people. So we got to make sure that it's that feeling of being alone, uh, you, you, despite having any people around. That's, that's, that's like, it's actually loneliness is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I don't know if you heard of that before. There's a study that came out that was kind of made headlines and everybody loved to use that headline. It just shows you the impact that loneliness has. And, and the reason is that, that it's a stress, it's a stress on the body when you feel alone and, and having that biological impact. And in fact, it can build up the plaque and the arteries. And this was something that I thought was 
was fascinating when we took a, a course uh, in my gerontology program called the mind body connection. And this is a research based university. I went to USC and <laughs> I saw that on the curriculum and I was like, okay, this is not just woo woo stuff. And so we talked about that. And, and I, and I remember asking my professor, I said, look, if somebody has a perfect diet and they're exercising and all that, but they're stressed, will they still have the plaque buildup in their arteries? He said, yes. So, so that's cortisol and all of the stress hormones, epinephrine or epinephrine, all this adrenaline running through your body, which is fine. Like we need that at certain times of our life, but we don't want this chronic, you know, cortisol running through our body. So it can, you know, increase cancer cell growth, spreading, you know, the cells everywhere. It promotes inflammation. And there's just so much stuff that, that any kind of disease, uh, you can probably link it somehow to cortisol, uh, or any of these stressful hormones. And so it's that, it's that, um, that low grade chronic inflammation that we're worried about and this oxidation in the body that's leading to these diseases and not to mention this disruption of our natural hormonal balance. So, you know, when you think about going through menopause, if you're feeling alone, get social, go out and seek a support group, go to the feisty menopause, Facebook group, uh, Instagram, you know, local community groups. If you want to see people one-on-one -on -one or find your friends going through this too, this is so vital again, bringing you back to relationships because it is dangerous. And it's, it's, um, to, to be, to have that, that, that it's okay to feel lonely once in a while or alone, but if it's sort of this chronic and, and you just fall into this depression, you are setting yourself up to be more at risk of, of disease. So better to start now and get on the Facebook group with Celine and me. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's, light bulbs are going off all, all over as you're talking, because as we were talking about before I hit record, I just came back from the North American Menopause Society annual meeting. And there was a whole keynote session on uh, biosocial stress, psychosocial, psychosocial stress, and its unique damage on women. Like young women through midlife, we are uniquely susceptible to it and have all like ischemia and all these plaque all this stuff you're talking about that puts us at risk for coronary heart disease is associated with this stress that we are uniquely vulnerable to. And that cortisol piece is a big part of it. And like, as we know, when estrogen declines, like that becomes harder to manage. So this is super, super important, like, and dovetails right back to the relationship stuff that you're talking about, because that can help lower the stress when it's good. And I just wrote down and nobody take this because I'm going to I'm going to put it on a shirt lift, love, laugh. Like instead of, just, <laughs> I think, I think that's our key here. Yes, absolutely. As we, as we go through this. <laughs> yes, I, I absolutely. I mean, I need one of those t-shirts for sure. Cause, uh, that is something that, you know, people, people so, so don't take seriously sometimes and how important it is. So we need to, we it's need really to important. I mean, those. It was very, very striking. I mean, you know, it, it seeing because they had like, you know, the, the pictures of inside of arteries and all the, you know, all the stats like women are really, really susceptible to it. And we forget, even though we get keep getting told that heart disease is still our number one killer. Or, you know, everyone has breast cancer on the brain. And I understand that and there are pink ribbons everywhere. But like heart disease kills us by far more. 
by far. Abs- yeah, it's it is it is by far. It is by far, and and I and I think a lot of people don't realize that because we yeah we often think about the breast <laughs> and the breast cancer and the c word and we're so scared. But for some reason, and and it's not only people who are overweight or smokers. I mean, I'm you've heard and you've shared on the podcast too how many people are athletic and lean and they have clogged arteries, they have heart disease. I mean, how you think, how in the world is this happening? But it does. And we need to be super aware of it and, and do something about it. And I think that's why we need to, to look at uh, our, our, our life in terms of what is the root cause always be okay. We can take some, you know, medication if you want, or you can try to have some, some lifestyle changes, but definitely in your lifestyle change, find your happiness factor and surround yourself with, with those good, positive, strong relationships. And I think that will at least contribute in a, in a, in a good way. hundred percent. I love it. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, Plus, even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. 
They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like feisty menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the Otter is stuffed, with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter has taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play all caps one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. So, so let's talk about some circumstances that women in this uh, demographic find themselves in and how maybe to navigate that because, you know, so much of this is a little easier said than done. And I'm, you know, we, we are in this, we're, we're the women, especially in our listening demographic and, and where they're coming from are, uh, you know, among the first generation of women in these numbers to be, you know, pursuing professional pursuits, climbing corporate ladders, lining up for triathlons, raising kids a bit later in life, also taking care of parents, you know, at this part, part in time, you know, I have aging parents, I have a daughter in college, you, you feel this stuff, like, what does this mean for our quality of life in either direction? I mean, there are positives to all this, but there's also got to be a negative to all of this. Yeah, there's definitely benefits and drawbacks. And so, you know, there's there's that's why everyone has to find out where, what is right for them. But let's keep in mind, first of all, that we're speaking mostly to this modern Western developed yes, world, because, 100%. you know, in the other, other parts of the world, this is still not there or it's just barely starting. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe they'll get there. And, 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 and there's, again, 
benefits and drawbacks. So I would say, you know, if you're, cor- you know, cor- climbing the corporate ladder, this is one great thing. I mean, women, okay, you, you, you can make more money, you'll be more financially secure, you'd be more independent, more access again to those medical resources and better quality food and better med- medical care. But, but this may be at the cost of burning the candle at both ends or trying to keep up in a man's world. I mean, this stress from, from a corporate job may come at a health cost. And, and and it's not even a corporate job. I mean, I know people who are working two jobs just to make the ends meet. They're just surviving. And that's just as stressful. So really it's it's trying to find that sweet spot in terms of, okay, let's let's be financially dependent or let's do that. That's but we need to to always consider our, our health and, and what price we're going to pay. And, and when it comes to say uh, doing marathons and, and triathlons, I mean, this is all great. I mean, this is so like in terms of the, the physiological aspect, this is great for, for staying fit and you have better cardiovascular function, better hormonal balance, lower risk of your osteoporosis and just having more lean muscle mass that gives you strength and power, hopefully balance. And of course, falling less and Fall, falls are a big deal when we yeah, age. Yeah, they are. They're a big, big deal. And I don't think that's appreciated enough either. No. It's a big, big deal. And when we did those balance challenges, I mean, I think uh, some women, like, well, including myself, like, it's, it's surprising, like, how, you know, lift one leg off the ground and close your eyes and see what happens. Like, <laughs> like working on your balance <laughs> is really important. And put some earplugs in your ears and try to walk to the bathroom in the night, you know, because I sleep with earplugs. And mm-hmm. when you lose your sense of hearing, it is very surprising, like how your balance isn't, yep. is is really impacted. So just like, I think we think even women, you know, and I'm one of them who think I'm so fit, you know, and I'm strong, but that doesn't necessarily mean your proprioception is great or your balance is great or all those things. And it's really important because falls are, are devastating. Yeah, absolutely. So if you ever see those classes in, in the gym about balance <laughs> um, and mobility, mm-hmm. those are some of the best classes you can take. And it's something we need to work on every single day because, you know, less chance of falling, less chance of hip fractures and all these other things. But, but, you know, going back to, you know, being fit or taking, you know, being in a triathlon or making, setting these goals, it also gives you a feeling of strength and, and badassness, right? We want to, it, it helps our our um, self, you know, um, awareness. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really nice. But the flip side of that, the drawback may be, well, if you're doing this too much, you know, the chronic cardio that we learned from your podcast and Dr. Stacey Sims and many of the other guests that like, this may not be the best way to support our hormones and during the menopausal transition. So we need to just modify the types of training perhaps, but it doesn't mean to slow down or not do those things. It's just, again, finding our sweet, sweet spot. And, and what I love about your community is we see these, these older women smashing their goals and breaking records and triathlons and Ironmans. And I hope we can change that word Ironman one day. I don't know why. (laughs) Some things are just really entrenched. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. We need to come up with another word. But when we see these women in competitive sports, it's really great to combat ageism. Anybody who follows me know I'm just out here to disrupt these ageist stereotypes. And when we see someone doing it, which this is when I 
just like really when I saw the women who were in your community, I just have hope. I have inspiration. And this is really good for society because when, when we're taking care of ourselves, right, there's, we're using fewer medical resources, right? There's more of the budget that can go to maybe the education or to something else. Right. So, so that's, there's always, you know, there's always benefits and, and drawbacks, but just in general, you know, you having, having all of these things that are great for our self-confidence and self-esteem, great for our mental health. And, and eventually it, it does impact our physical health and, and helps us live a longer and better and happier lives. Yeah, no. And I love that piece about, you know, the ageism and what you're doing in that space, because, you know, when I started this and it, it, a lot has happened in two years, right? Like a, there's a lot of more people talking about menopause and it's blowing up all over the place. But, you know, I, there were some people that did not want to say the word menopause or talk about menopause. And I was even like, should I put it in the show language? Because are people <laughs> going to even like want to be on or listen? And it's, it's because of the ageist piece. It's because menopause was associated with being an old lady and nobody wants that. And like, like it all has to go and it has to start somewhere. Right. But I, I think that we, we have to keep hammering away at both of these, at both of those pieces, because that's how the whole wall falls down. Exactly. And I appreciate your support with that because, you know, right now we, we don't feel it as much as somebody in their seventies or eighties who may feel invisible at this moment. Yeah, uh-huh. But if we're lucky, we'll all be old. Right. It's right. We'll all get there. And when you get there is not when you're going to start combating ageism, right? We need to do it now. Even if you're 20, even if you're 10, like we need to do this now in order to help yourself when you get there. Right. So really, uh, ageism is a whole other topic. We can. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> there are many, this, we could go with this could pull a whole like three hour spell, but we, we're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> One of one of the upsides I have found of this, you know, walking, especially something happened at at when 50 happened at age 50. Like I felt this like all of a sudden, like I am 50 and I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like it just like it just I don't even know where it came from, but it was great. It was wonderful. And that I think is like one of the and I hear it over and over again. And I don't know if there's a biological thing happening. Like once your ovarian hormones sort of die down and that nurturing part, you know, isn't needed anymore. <laughs> you know, you're just like, well, that's great. Whatever. I'm just doing my thing. Um, I'm wondering what your thoughts on that and and if you if this is something that you have experienced or if there is a biological or social you know psychological Mm. reasoning behind it yeah it seems a lot of people share this experience so there is there is an explanation now finding one is is a bit hard but you know when we were talking earlier i don't know if i can say this but we were talking about this newfound no fuckness right to oh you advantage. can say that yep yep yeah okay <laughs> yeah so i have to say i went to a biohacking conference last weekend and vishen lakiani of mind valley was speaking mm-hmm. and he had a great word <laughs> it was called unfuck with the bull and <laughs> so many things you can do with it. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what, he, what it is. And it's this state when you're completely at peace with yourself and, mm. and nothing can shake you and you don't have any fear of loss anymore. Like, like I don't care. And then that state, you're not afraid to dream or take some bold action or fail. You're just kind of immune to the criticism or even the praise. And you're just 
this, this inner happiness is totally fueling you. You've got the self-love and just fear no longer rules you. And that's huge. That's where we all want to be. I think uh, it helps us navigate life much easier. And it happens, you're right, as we age. Why is this happening? So, you know, it's could be some hormonal changes. I'm, I'm not a hormone expert, so I can't really talk about that. But but, um, you know, is it the lack of or, or imbalance of hormones that makes us unfuckwithable? Or is it when our hormones are in balance? You know, uh, I would say maybe it's going to be toward more, more towards when we're in balance, uh, to when you're thinking about a positive effect. But, but is it because we're happier when we're older? I don't know. If you look at that U-curve of happiness we're talking about, if you believe that, um, or, or is it the socio-emotional selectivity theory where, right, where we talked about uh, having prioritizing, prioritizing your time towards you know, those existing good social relationships? There is also a positivity effect as we age. And this is where, you know, they've done studies where uh, they find that older adults have a bias towards positive stimuli. So, so some say that this, this positivity effect is the result of cognitive decline um, by, because positive stimuli is less cognitive demanding than negative. But, but other research has shown that other older adults with higher levels of cognitive control, they can also have the strongest preference for positive stimuli. But you know, generally what they would do is they show you flashes on the screen of, of positive, happy images and, and then negative images. And then they'd ask the, 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 the participants, you know, what did you remember? And so compared to mm -hmm. the younger people, older adults will remember the positive ones. That's interesting. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty cool. That's called the positivity effect. And older adults are just better in general to let go of negative emotional experiences. Like we have no more time in this planet for negativity. Like right, we're going right. to die. Right. So it's like, <laughs> like, so we're not, <laughs> we have that, again, that, that, that timeline for us, we're closer to death than we are to, to birth, you know, so younger kids and teenagers, you know, where they're always comparing themselves to, you know, when they were born, like, you know, so they want to be older, whereas we, <laughs> we know that life is short. And there's another interesting aspect, and this may be talk about, he goes in a little bit, could be an, an, an explanation of what's happening in the brain, but there's a very famous geriatric psychiatrist. And he was also the founder of the National Institute on Aging. His name's Gene Cohen. And he created these four phases of aging. And phase one is this midlife reevaluation. Re and phase two is the one of liberation and innovation. And it happens generally when we're fifties to seventies, but there's a lot of crossover overlap. It can happen at many different times, but, but he calls this age speaking one's mind. Mm. And it's a time. Yeah. When we say, you know, well, you know, what can they do to me? Right. This <laughs> yeah. We're just like, we don't care. And we also question because, you know, if not now, then when, right? We have again that that timeline. And and so he says there's this inner push that's moving towards liberation and, and not compliance anymore. And we just, you know, we have this more willingness to take risks and it's a time to do those things that we always wanted to do. And that kind of makes sense when you think about, you know, your, your different phase of your life. And, but, you know, when he speaks, he's not talking specifically to women. So, so, but, you know, it could maybe have a, a greater impact on women. But when he, he talks about the brain, he says that during this, this phase in our brain, there's these new neurons that are growing in the hippocampus, which is 
part of our brain that's involved with just processing information. And there's these dendrites that are like these mm. finger like cells at the ends of the neurons that receive communication from another cell. So we want those dendrites to be long. We want them to be strong. And, and they're at their most dense and longest during this period, which is crazy. And that that's, is. yeah. I, I, and, and so, so this is what he explains is could be giving us more, you know, this post formal thinking and intuition as well as better communication skills. Now, you know, that's, that's debatable still, but if it's true, that's the only kind of physiological explanation other than perhaps some hormones that I could explain for that. Because most of the research that's done on this attitude, you know, this sort of letting go are psychological and, or sociological parts of aging that, that, that people kind of look into. That's really, really interesting that I, I, I will, I will put a bunch of links in the show notes to this one. Um, you are definitely, you are, how many countries have you lived in? Over 50? Like you are. A, oh, uh, I lived, lived in eight, but I've traveled, oh, you've traveled. over 50. Yeah. So That's I've been, to, I've been around, but, and, and it's still a small number in my book. There's so many places I still want to go and, and things to see and, and different experiences because I've been traveling since I was two. Right. So it's like, you know, I don't remember very much when I was younger. So, and I have a different perspective on the world as well. So it's, it's, uh, it's even more and more interesting. Is there something that you can share about the impact of culture on menopause from your experience? Yeah. Yeah. There's so, so my, my experience, like since I've been in this track of aging and longevity, I've been mostly looking at people who are older sort of right. post-menopausal. So, right. so, um, but I had to dig into the research because this was a really good question. You know, what, what is happening to women and their impact on menopause? I still see, you know, lately I've been asking women, I was in, in Poland just a couple of weeks ago and I met a woman in her fifties going through menopause and I asked her some questions and she was quite shy and didn't want to talk too much about it, but I didn't really know her very well either. I just met her. So <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> but she, she, uh, she was aware and all that. So, but, you know, when we look at the, um, uh, you know, WHO will say that natural menopause happens between 45 and 50 years old worldwide. So that's, you know, pretty similar. And, uh, and so there's this other paper that came out, this is kind of old, actually, this is 1996, that said, if you use eight, 50 years old as a proxy for menopause, and about 25 million women are passing through menopause each year, that's, that's huge, right? So there's a lot of people going through menopause. Now, the question is, uh, is it the same or different? And now physiologically, um, we can, we have similar experiences, right? We're all, no one's getting away without going through menopause. Like, you know, <laughs> just now whether experience is different, that can, that is true. Now there are also very big differences in attitudes between those in the East and the West part of the hemispheres, right? So, you know, whether you're poor or rich, you're developed or underdeveloped, educated or uneducated, all of these have an impact on how you're going to go through menopause or how these people are going. So you can look at ethnicity or geographical and social factors, um, but um, family support affects your symptoms and severity as well. So there's this that I found fascinating was there is this socio-cultural influence and it's your, your beliefs and values that can have a great impact. So, so in, in those societies, and you said this at the beginning of the podcast, that those people where age is more revered and the older woman is wiser and a better woman, then menopausal symptoms are 
significantly less bothersome, right? It doesn't mean that they don't have them. They do, but they just don't impact them as well. So, you know, this is, this is, you know, if you, if you in a society kind of like us in the Western society that equates menopause with old age and negativity, then the symptoms are just more devastating, right? It's more painful. So, you know, what I also found is that those people who lived in female dominated households also had fewer symptoms than those who lived in male dominated households. You know, when you think about different cultures where there's women running the household or men running the household, that's an interesting, interesting point. And uh, so if we want to look at Asia, for example, just Asia as a whole, because, you know, there's Japan or China, India, Malaysia, there's so many other places, but generally they had lower, a lower rate of reported menopausal symptoms. Okay. Then say in, in the West and the use of um, bioidentical hormones or hormone replacement therapy or whatever you want to call it there, it's lower in Asia. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And, and there's a 2010 study uh, and I can give you all these studies that I pulled out. It was super fascinating uh, that women across several different Asian studies, only 19% of the women took HRT to manage their menopause symptoms and 37% used herbal or natural remedies. And, and in China, it's thought to, to be as low as 2%. So that's, you know, not a whole lot of pop people using HRT in Asia and in, in Japan, fewer, fewer reports of hot flashes. And again, symptoms 25 to 50%. They even had to create a word for it in Japan recently. That's just based on on an English terminology of hot flash. So, you know, they didn't even have a word until recently because they're not experiencing it as much. I mean, and they have, they do have lower rates of, of um, heart disease and osteoporosis and all that. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that there's enough research to say it's their soy in their diet, but you know, some people hypothesize perhaps it is, it's a phytoestrogen. It mimics estrogen. Um, but you know, we, we really can't say, but what I really loved about Japan it's their collective cultural attitude towards menopause. And it, they have a word called konenki and konenki is the word for menopause. And it also means renewal season energy, and it's just a natural life stage. So, so it's kind of, you know, and again, this is a country where, you know, it, older age is more revered than, than in the West. So you can see that perhaps that's having an impact. Maybe it's not the soy, maybe it's their, you know, their, their relationships, who knows? And, and China is similar. Um, they, you know, also menopause is seen as a rebirth and natural, and it's a welcome end to your menstruation cycle. You know, they, they're happy to let go of that and you can use your energy to do so many other things. Again, fewer symptoms, but it, it was interesting. Those those who lived in cities had worse symptoms than those who were more rural. And uh, and then in, in this one interesting study too, they had uh, the the there were more symptoms if you were more educated. Um, really don't know. Maybe because if you're more educated, you're living in a in a, in a bigger city. Not really sure, but stress but that, might come into play with that whole. Yeah. That yes. Whole Exactly. Maybe they don't have their relationships, you know, as tight as when they, you know, as people in rural. I, I don't know yet, but, but that was super interesting. Um, um, Malaysia and Sri Lanka, India, you know, these are these are similar similar experiences. But again, it's their attitude towards menopause that that is is different than ours in in the West. You know, it doesn't mean again, you know, Sri Lanka has has um, you know just same menopausal 
problems. India, they have, for some reason, there's some premature menopause going on there, mostly in women who are living in the rural areas, which to me, I thought would be be a bit different, but um, they're having, you know, heavy bleeding and joint aches and these perimenopausal period. But again, they're, they do look at it as, as, as a time of liberation. It's just not as negative. And it's not that they're all happy Dory, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, just the way it is. And, and the last uh, piece of, of research that was, was interesting that came out were women in, in the Middle East, and they had a similar frequency and severity of their hot flashes to women in the West. So again, it seems like women are passing through this. Some have, you know, you know, um, more, some have less, but in, in, um, in Arabic, the word menopause is called the hopeless age or the age of desperation. But, but this is thought to have more to do with our, like the end of childbearing years or something. So rather than the actual experience of, of menopause, but right. I, you know, it's again, you know, we have to, the, the language is, is, is super interesting. And again, we have to put into context, you know, we're not speaking Arabic or we don't know. So it's, it's really hard. We may be very judgmental on one side and not really know what's going on on the other side. But again, in the Middle East, it's a time of renewed life and great inclusion. And when you when you actually, in some some of these cultures, you're not allowed to do certain activities if you're menstruating, right? So it's kind of like, woohoo, now I can go to the party. Um, <laughs> yeah, for real, literally. So, yeah, it's kind of like, that's a, that's a positive thing. So again, but I, what, what, you know, really what are taking away from this is, is it seems is that in these cultures where you have uh, strong support, great family connections, uh, you have a positive attitude towards aging or a positive attitudes towards, toward menopause, then it's really, really helpful. And it doesn't mean you're going to get away scotch-free, but you, you will definitely have a, a better experience. That's yeah, that's great. And I, I just wanted to make a little note about soy because I think it's such an interesting conversation because we've been having this conversation about soy for decades now <laughs> in this country. Right. Um, when I, I believe it's in next level when we were working on that. There's there's interesting research that finds that if you want to go back to the gut microbiome, a lot of people in the West don't have the the enzyme, you know, the bacteria in their gut to process it the same way as they do, you know, in those countries where they're born and raised on soy diets. So yeah, there's much more to it than you know, eat more edamame and and you know, I mean, it like we were saying before, you can't just pull something out like that and be like, that must be the thing. Um, you know, sure. It's part of the thing, but this is we're, as we're drawing, this is a huge complex picture. Yeah. And, and ask yourself, are, are, are you Asian living in China? You know, where the study was made, you know, does that apply to you? And, in, and certainly in Asia, they're not eating soy the same way we're eating in the West. I mean, they're very different. Not veggie burgers. <laughs> there's no, no veggie burgers. No. So, you know, that's, that, there's a lot of things yet to, to pull out from there, but yeah, that's, I, I really, what really stood out for me in that research was, was the attitudes and the, and the relationships of support that you, that you may have. Love, love, love it. So I have loved everything about this conversation. Um, we're, we're coming up on an hour. We could probably talk for two more, but I would, I would really like to just ask you if you had one piece of advice for a good journey through midlife and menopause, what would it be? 
gosh, this is hard. Just one thing. Come on. One. Well, well, it's I have to pull That's not a hard I can, question. I mean, come I, on. I know it's well. It's clearly it's clearly your attitude, and it's I love that unfuckwithableness. You know, that's just become that and 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 uh but it is it is that again i think we've heard it all throughout this conversation your attitude and your happiness factor and your relationships this is something nurture your network i mean work on those relationships seek people who will support you because when you have this positive attitude towards aging and 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 menopause it's so much easier right why not why not 100 percent Thank you so much, Zora. It has been a true pleasure, and I'm glad that you are part of our community. Oh, thanks for having me so much. It's a, it's a true honor. Well, that's our show. Join me next week when I sit down with ultra runner Cam Prongay. I came across Cam when a friend of mine shared a brilliant essay that she wrote for ultrarunning.com titled the menopause 200. I was hooked after the first line where she wrote, to be clear, I did not sign up for the menopause 200. My ovaries did. And it was funny and insightful. And I knew I just had to have her on the show. And she did not disappoint. Cam is a veterinarian and she's very science focused. And we just had a great conversation about her logical and emotional journey through this transition. So come on back next week. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay feisty. Feisty.